Good morning. I want to say thank you. I haven't said it enough. Uh, uh, a quick update. Uh, Katie has one more radiation treatment. We've completed almost six weeks. And uh, you all have loved us so much. When we were singing uh, that amazing love of Christ, uh, the amazing love of Christ we feel and see through you as you love us and pray for us and journey with us. Uh, after this, we have uh, one more round of chemo for treatments, uh, but God has been good, so we still covet your prayers. And uh, again, want to say thank you for journeying with us. Knowing that this was the last week of treatment, I try to be helpful. Thank you for laughing. Uh, we you know how to pray for Katie. I said, I'm going to take some time off, uh, try to be helpful. Uh, last week, uh, um, I had the privilege of uh, worshiping with one of our Eatonville churches. I heard worship was awesome last week. It was, I heard it was unbelievable, and lives were changed, and Joe did a great job. And it was awesome for me to be able to have the chance to go and experience uh, uh, Redeeming Lights worship. And so appreciate ours, and so appreciate what God has given to us. But last Sunday night, I had one of those really hard tasks in life. I was asked to go preach for a friend, and, and you know me, that's not hard. I, I love doing that. That's what I'm called to do. I mean, give me a chance, I'll do it anywhere. But this friend of mine has been a friend for many years. Uh, we did youth ministry together for several years. He's now a church planner, and we've maintained a close friendship. And, and recently, tragedy hit his family. Uh, his wife committed suicide a few weeks ago, and you can imagine what that did for that congregation, that young congregation trying to wrestle with uh, such a tragedy, such a early church, such a, like a new church, a church plant. And man, it just reminded of just how hard life can be uh, for, for even us Christians. But one of the things I've noticed as I'm dialoguing with my friend is, is there's a newness to his life that is uncomfortable. There's a newness to his life that has changed everything. And he certainly hasn't figured it out yet, but he basically is telling me through conversation that I'm trying to figure out what it means for me now to live as a single man. All of us go through changes, hopefully none that horrific, but many of you have had very horrific circumstances and my heart breaks for you. Uh, just yesterday, I got my first call, official call, as a uh, chaplain for the fire department in Maitland responding to be with the crew who tried to resuscitate an eight-year-old boy in Lake Maitland um, who had drowned. And so we're reminded of the pain and that life for that family is it's changing and shattering. But there's also some good things that change our lives. I mean, even right now, this time of year, uh, we celebrate uh, school. Some of your children will be going to school for this first time. Some of them will be going to middle school for the first time. Let's go to prayer. Oh, Lord, be with them. Uh, uh, some of them will be going to high school. Some of you, our, our kids are going to college uh, for the first time. Uh, some of you this year have gotten married. Some of you have become parents. And all of these experiences of life, we have to ask ourselves the question, and, and they just come, how do I now act? That's what my friend is asking. How do I now act? How do I now respond? How do I now be in this new situation? We need to pray for our young people who are going into new situations, especially college, because they're going to be asking the question, how shall I now live as a college student? How shall I now live with whatever the changes are in your life? Some of those are good. Some of them are negative. Well, today we're going to ask and answer the question, how shall we now live with the ultimate change that can take place in any of our lives? 
And the change is this. The change from death to life. The change of being a child by nature of wrath apart from God to being ushered in and being lavish love upon us that we could be called children of God. How do we now live as children of God? We're going to look at the Gospel view of living because truthfully it should change everything. But I want to begin. It's so important with this. How are we now supposed to live? But we live in response to God's grace. If you hear nothing else, I really, really want to drill this in every one of our heads and our hearts and our souls. God is just breaking my heart that we need to know this truth. And listen, we live in response to the grace of God that has made us new. Not not an attempt to be made new. Let me say it the way maybe Tim Keller might say it, uh, a PCA pastor in New York City. He often says so well, I'm paraphrasing, he'll say, now religion, religion is basically trying to obey, trying to do a lifestyle, trying to live a certain way to please God. Religion says if I obey, maybe God will be accepted, uh, accept me and love me. Basically, religion will say we have to change in order to be accepted. Listen, if you have to change who you are to be accepted by someone else, there's probably something fundamentally wrong, especially you young people, especially you young girls. If you're interested in a boy and he wants you to change who you are to be accepted in his eyes, it's never worth it. Amen, parents? But there's such good news. What did I say wrong? Someone's laughing. Are you all right? Too many elbows flying up there? I don't know. Anyway. But listen, here's what many people think about Christianity that's so dead wrong. They think that we have to perform in a certain way, live in a certain way, so that God will accept and love us. That is not true. That's religion. That is not the gospel. Here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's such good news. That God has accepted us and loves us by His grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are accepted in Christ. Isn't that good news? And therefore now we live our lives because we have His acceptance. Because we have His love. We now live our lives in response to His love. Never trying to earn it. That is the fundamental difference between religion and Christianity. God is calling us to live holy lives. God is calling us to live pure lives. God is calling us to be radically different than those who don't know Jesus. God is calling us to die to ourselves and live to Him. God is calling us to love our neighbors as ourselves. God is calling us to radical living. Not so that we can have radical acceptance. But because we have Radical acceptance, and we are His. We now live on uh, the view of the Gospel because of that great love and that acceptance we have in Christ. So we're going to look at what is the Gospel view of living. But again, if you're here and you do not know Jesus, this is not a list for you to try to do to earn God's love. you got to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only way you get it. But for the multitude in this room, who have been set free by the blood of the Lamb, for the multitude in the room that can sing with amazing fervor the amazing love of Christ. 
This is what Paul gives to us as the gospel view of living. How are we Christians are supposed to live now, now that we have been made alive in Christ? We'll have the gospel view of truth, the gospel view of anger, and the gospel view of work. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, um, you can do that. And really what we're all doing is we're going to try to imitate Christ, which is next week's message. Well, turn with me in your Bibles and let's look at this incredible exhortation of gospel view of living in a few verses. Job did a great job preaching last week, the latter part of this chapter. I'm going to come back and pick up verses 25 through 28. One of the things in the survey, which was great, we don't do enough of, thank you for the recommendation, was to say, you know what we need to do more of? This is God's holy and errant word. When it's read, can we stand Amen to that. So will you join me and will you stand and let's read God's Word together. Let the Lord speak to all of us through His holy and errant Word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart, Be acceptable and pleasing in Your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is such an important concept that Paul is exhorting us that we now need to live with newness of life. He's telling us basically this interesting language that we need to change our clothes spiritually. That we have to put off the old nature that was sinful that we were born with, every single one of us. That we need to put on this new nature, this new humanity in Christ. And now we need to live our lives in light of who we are in Christ. There should be a radical difference in the way we think, the way we talk, the way we live because of Christ and what He has done. And I want to use as a springboard into understanding this a little bit more clearly another passage. And if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Hebrews 10, verse 14. Hebrews 10, 14 is one of those life-shaping verses in my own life that really God has used to, to give me great endurance. Because oftentimes I look in the mirror and I say, why am I still wrestling? Why am I still struggling? Why am I not more of a holy man? Why are there still so many issues in my life? How come I've been a Christian so long and I'm so prone to stumble? Why? And I'm reminded of this great gospel truth. And let's let's, let's put our teeth in this today because I promise you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will set us free. Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by a single offering, the offering of the cross, the offering of God's uh, own Son, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, uh, as a sacrifice for our sins, making atonement for our sins. For by a single offering, God, He has perfected for all times 
those who are being made holy or those who are being sanctified. So you see that as we become Christians, there are two great changes that have taken place. One change is complete and one change is ongoing. And we have to understand this as God is calling us to live obedient lives for Him. Did you hear what the writer of Hebrews says? For by one sacrifice, God has for all time, forever, made perfect His children. Does anybody here feel perfect? If you do, let's talk afterwards. you got issues. But God doesn't want us to forget that's the reality That God, once and for all, for all of His children, He sees us today. He sees us complete in Christ. You know how good news that is? That through that one sacrifice, we have been made perfect in Christ. This is what this means. When Jesus said, it is finished, there is an exclamation point on that. And the work of sacrificing uh, His life for our sins is over with. That God is no longer angry with us because of our sins. Our sins have been paid not in part, but in whole. The blood of Christ has washed away yours and mine as children of God's all of our sins. Past, present, and future. We have been robed in His righteousness right now. We are now sitting in here as a broken family, a dysfunctional family in Christ Jesus. The heavenly realms can look at us and say, they are perfect in Christ. That is the one time when God's grace comes into our life and we embrace Jesus as Savior. That reality never changes. No matter how you feel, no matter how you stumble, if you are truly in Christ by God's grace and you've embraced Him as your Savior, that re- the reality perpetually, eternally remains. And let that go deep into your soul and deep into your core because that, my friend, will set you free. You and I have been made perfect forever through the sacrifice of the cross in Christ Jesus. But there's another part of that that's very paradoxical. He says... He has made us perfect, but He's also making us holy. And there should be a little bit of an about face. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How can I be both perfect and being made holy? That's the mystery of the Gospel. You and I still have that old nature that we need to put off. That flesh that still comes into our lives that that makes us do things that we shouldn't do. So we have these two great changes. One change is complete and one change is ongoing. And the job of the Holy Spirit in your life individually and our life corporately is this. The Father would so love us that He would send His Son to rescue us through that one sacrifice. That work is complete. But He would so love us that He would send the Holy Spirit. He and the Son would send the Holy Spirit to continue to clean us up. To continue to make us more like Jesus. To continue to make us holy. The work of God continues in our life to make us Christ-like. That is the Holy Spirit's job. Last week, Joe talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. When we don't live a life that honors Christ. Know inside you, if you are a born-again Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, the eternal God's Spirit inside of you, making you more like Jesus. That's His job. How do you like it when someone clearly works against what you're trying to do as a job? 
How do you like it if someone comes in and just, you know, dishevels your desk or, or goes in another direction from what you're trying to do? That's grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying, I want to make you more like Jesus. Because you are accepted in the Beloved and you are mine. That's ongoing work. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, on June 13, 1987, my life by God's grace was forever changed. I became a husband. I became a husband. I, I married uh, Katie Ward, who became Katie Ward Jakes. That reality took place. That was a one-event reality. But I've had to learn over 22 years through the teaching of God and the teaching of Katie what it means to be a husband. It's an ongoing process. It's a one-time reality, but an ongoing process. On December 29th, 1989, a major change took place in my life. I became a parent. It's true the rest of my life. No matter what happens, I am a parent. But I tell you, there's some days I feel like, what in the world is a parent supposed to do? Do you know the stages, parents, those of you who have gone through them? You ever had teenagers yet? You start figuring out, what does it mean to really be a parent? How do I really figure this out? Well, becoming a born-again Christian, a couple of things have happened. That one-time reality that we have been given new life in Christ individually. We've also been given a new family. Through what Jesus has done in our lives, we are new. That which was dead has been made alive. That which is broken is being healed. We are new in Christ. That's what Paul has been saying. He's made us alive in Christ Jesus. Not only that, individually we are new, but corporately we are a new family. A new family together. So when we think about becoming more like Christ, when we talk about a a gospel view of living, what I really want to make sure we know as a bedrock is a couple of things. One is we're not trying to... Do this so we get God's approval. We already got it. I never want us to forget that. I never want us to forget that the Holy Spirit's job inside of us as His children is to make us holy. That's what we're supposed to become. And Lord willing, can't wait for that day. We will become perfectly holy. Individually, we got to look at every charge that God gives us to live a certain way. This is God's job. Make us more like Christ. And corporately, the Holy Spirit is here. To make us love one another. To make us speak truth to one another. To make us not be angry with one another. To truly encourage one another to live for Christ. Because of this reality, Paul says, therefore. Therefore, because of this incredible change that's taken place. Because of God's incredible love. Because of the blood of Christ. Because of the Holy Spirit inside you. Therefore, put off the old man. Put off falsehood. And live out your lives and your gospel differently. Alright, the first thing we, we really focus on and bore down on this is this. The gospel view of truth. Look again at verse 25 with me. 4.25 Therefore, because of this great reality of being made new in Christ, having put away falsehood, that's the old self, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors. Why? For we are members one of another. The gospel view of truth. This is such good news. It's this. Sin always makes us hide. It happened with Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God. They sinned. And what's the first thing they wanted to do? Hide. They wanted to cover up their nakedness. 
They wanted to hide from God. And Jesus came and said, I have come so that the truth will set you free. The truth will no longer cause you to need to hide. The truth will truly be able to come and cause you to live differently. This is, this is, this is what God is telling us. We don't have to be, long, uh, be afraid of the truth anymore. Why don't we want to speak the truth? Why don't we want to live out the truth? Because the truth hurts. Because we have a hard time handling the truth. But when we come to the Gospel and we realize that the truth is, is yes, we are broken. The truth is, yes, we are sinful. The truth is, yes, we do mess up. But the truth is, we're loved and accepted. The truth no longer has to haunt us. And the reality of the blood of Christ forgiving us can set us free. The reality that God loves us and He'll never change His mind about us sets us free. You and I never have to hide again from the truth. You never have to hide again from the truth. You see, what we, why don't we tell the truth to each other, even to ourselves? It's because we want to hide. We want to hide our blemishes. We want to hide our brokenness. We want to cover them up. We want to mask them. The truth haunts us. But God is telling us, of all of creation, my children, the truth should no longer haunt you. The truth shall set you free. And listen, I have come to rescue you. And now you can tell the whole world that you need Jesus. Tell the whole world that yes, it is true I'm broken. Yes, it is true I'm still making mistakes. Yes, it is true I need Jesus. And I tell you what, when that, that truth and that reality comes into our eyes and when we see the reality of who we are in Christ, we are free to tell the truth to ourselves and tell the truth to others. Do you know what God will do through us if we really get this? Do you know if we can embrace the reality that we are accepted in the Beloved? And when someone comes up and says, do you know this about you? Do you know that you have a propensity to be arrogant? Do you know you have a propensity to talk too much? Do you know that you have a a propensity to be selfish? And I can say, guilty as charged. You're right. But do you know I'm loved? But do you know the blood of Christ has washed me away? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is working inside of me and we're trying to together fight those things to become more like Christ? Do you know that I don't have to be afraid anymore and neither do you? Are you afraid of the truth that you're just not good enough? Are you afraid of the things that you just can't do? Are you afraid of those things? Listen, Jesus has come with the Gospel to set us free and now we speak the truth to one another. So there's two things in this. One is for us to examine who we are in Christ and realize the truth no longer has power over us as far as our brokenness because the greater truth, Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, has loved us and set us free. Now we live our lives in reality to that. And we no longer have to hide and cover up our nakedness and our brokenness and shame and sin. You probably need to cover up your nakedness still, I mean, as far as clothes go. But uh, I hope you get my point. But when I talk about the gospel view of truth, that's, I, I really try to drive home that individually. But I want to drive home another thought on this is this. We owe truth to one another. God says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. He makes the point we are members of one community. Loving our neighbors as ourselves is telling them the truth. 
Why are we afraid to tell each other the truth? You want to know why? We don't even tell each other when you have something in your teeth. All right, do you do it? All right, well, let's talk about it. You're, you're having lunch with a friend. Obviously, a broccoli is right between the first two teeth. Do you tell them? Well, why wouldn't we? We might embarrass them. Okay, good. We'll have a piece of broccoli go around in their teeth for everybody else to see. Why don't we tell the truth to each other? Because maybe they won't like me if I tell them the truth. Maybe they'll judge me if I tell them the truth. Now listen, we don't tell the truth apart from love. But if we really love one another, and if we're really family, we will tell one another the truth. Oh, you think you're going to be more happy leaving your family and going with another woman? Well, the truth is you're wrong. And the truth is that God calls you back, and you better, you better love your wife and your kids. Want to tell the truth? Do you see, see us raise our children in ways that aren't pleasing to God or live our lives in ways that aren't pleasing to God? I mean, you want to say it's none of our business. That's the way they live their life. It is our business. We're one family. And the truth goes to me, too. Some of you took that with great liberty on this survey. <laughs> but, but, but you see, this is, this is the view of the gospel, that the truth shouldn't scare us. Because we're radically loved and we're radically accepted and we're radically set free. And we really want the best for one another. And listen, we really want the best for one another. We're going to tell each other the truth. Right? I know because I'm an approval suck. I want everybody to love me. And sometimes that wanting everyone to love me will keep me from saying things that I think that God is prompting me to say. The gospel is saying, speak the truth to yourself first in the gospel. You're loved and accepted. Speak the truth to one another. Can we try to do that? Because I'm telling you, if we start doing this more in Christ, this is a gospel view of, of, of really truth. It will set us free. The gospel view of anger. Listen, here, here, here's the bottom line. It says in verses 26 and 27, it's almost a command. Be angry. Yes, I got that. Woohoo! Be angry, but do not sin. Ooh. Okay, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And here's the bottom line with this. What is the gospel view of anger? What angers God and His holiness and His righteousness and His character and His creation? What angers God should anger His children. It should be offensive to us. Sin should be repugnant to us in our own lives and in our community. Brokenness, death, injustice, the things that anger God should anger God's people. But here's what the world wants to do. It really wants to inoculate us from evil. It wants to inoculate us that there's really a big deal and difference between the way a pagan who doesn't know God lives and the way a Christian lives. I think one of the greatest evils of our time in our society and one of the greatest victories that the devil is working is this. He is making us innocuous to evil and sin. It should bug the stew out of us. Because it's an offense to a holy God's character. And it should anger us. Abortion should anger us. Because it's an image in God's uh, creation being killed. Injustice should anger us. Brokenness shall anger us. I can't sit in an oncologist's office and not look around and say, God, Jesus, come back. Come back for the broken. Come back for the needy. I just see what sin has done. And I'm not talking individual sin, but what the result of the fall and death and decay has done. It angers me. Listen, we are to have a righteous anger. 
But we got to be careful the way we treat others with that righteous anger. Sometimes we get, okay, yeah, this is great. Pastor says, be angry at sinners. We're going to go throw rocks. Jesus said, he who hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. We unapologetically speak the truth, but we unapologetically love sinners. That's what Jesus did. So what anger is sin? I'll tell you, anything else. In verse 24, it says that we are to put on the new self in righteousness and holiness and justice. That's what we're supposed to be angry about. Things that offend God's righteousness, holiness, justice. What should we not be angry with? Anything else. Most other anger is because we see ourselves as the center of the universe. We see ourselves as God. Why do we get angry? Because somehow something I deserve I didn't get. Uh, Even if that's the fast lane on I-4, somehow I deserved your feedback more. Somehow I deserve greater love, greater attention, a greater meal. Somehow it's about me and my pathetic life and how the world didn't serve me. And I get ticked when the world doesn't serve me. How about you? I just become the center of the universe and the center of the world and I get angry. And I remembered the gospel. It says, you know what? If you die to yourself, you really live. If you die and live for Christ, you really live. And if you really seek others' welfare over your own, you know what I think is going to happen to our anger problem? I think it's going to go away. Anger is anything else. It says, don't let the sin go down on your anger. What a, what a great practical thing. I mean, how many of you have dysfunctional families? How many of you have sisters or brothers you don't talk to? How many of you have parents you don't talk to? How many of you have friends that you've just written off? And some, some of us don't even remember why. And God gives us such practical advice here saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you're really ticked, deal with it. Get rid of it. Let me give you two examples. Real practical stuff. Thank you. You have loved us well. You've brought us some meals. One of the meals needed a little bit of sour cream to make it just perfect. I, I, I jumped up. I was glad to see sour cream open it up. And have you, you ever seen blue sour cream? And it's crawling out. I mean, it was, it was nasty. What, what would be the right thing to do? Put it back in the refrigerator, right? I mean, just put it back. It's, it's, next person can deal with it. We'll put it back. Maybe it's going to get better. Now, what, do, what, what, what do you do? You dump it out. You get rid of it. If there's anger boiling in your heart, don't let the sun... Go down on your anger because you know what's going to happen? It's it's going to start growing mold and it's going to get rank and it's going to smell and it's going to take on a life of itself. This is for all you dentists. Hopefully you're brushing your teeth at night. Great time. A great time to, to, to remove the plaque of your sin. Let me encourage you. Take that time brushing your teeth. God, thank you for who I am in Christ. Thank you that I'm accepted in the Beloved. Thank you that you're not angry with me in Christ Jesus. What sin do I need to deal with? <laughs> Anybody else have a, uh, a toothbrush that's on a timer? Those new toothbrushes, you know? Anybody? Anybody else not use the timer? It's too darn long, man. Two minutes to brush your teeth. What are they thinking? That's why I got so many cavities, maybe. Um, take time. Remove the plaque in your life of sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I don't know. Some of you today, listen, the Holy Spirit's talking to some of you. Some of you are going to have to go home today and deal with some things. And you've let sin, you've let anger fester in your life. And listen, maybe you've been done wrong. Maybe there's been a great injustice. Maybe there's some, humanly speaking, justification for your anger. But can I tell you that the gospel and the truth has set you free? 
And Jesus loves you and He robes you in His righteousness and He's called you to respond in a Christ-like manner and initiate with them. And you may say, well, you don't understand what they did to me. Let me tell you, I don't understand what they did to you. But I do know what Jesus did for you. And I do know how He loves and accepts you. And I do know you, the aroma of Christ. And I do know that the life of Christ lives in you. And I do know that that sin is a cancer. And get it out. And some of you are going to have to go home today and just say, God, who do I need to apologize to? And it's going to be humble pie. It's going to be hard. But let me tell you, the truth will set you free. And you only will have the power to do it if you know who you are in Christ. Drink deeply of the gospel and then go do your business. And watch God set you free. Lastly, uh, don't, don't let the devil get a foothold. I mean, again, it, just, it is a cancer. Let, let's make the, go to the last point. The gospel view of work. It basically starts off with saying, to the thief, so, stop stealing. I bet many of us think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a thief. We'll talk about that in a second. But it says this. It says that we need to work so that we can give. You see, the American view of work The American work ethic is incredibly different than the gospel view of work. Sometimes we miss this as Americans, but the American work ethic and the view of work is completely different than what the Bible says about work. Here's what the American lifestyle says. Work to maintain a certain lifestyle, a certain house, a certain neighborhood, a certain standard of living. The American view of work will say work to obtain a certain retirement a certain good life that you and the missus of the family can enjoy. Work to pursue the American dream, to be someone, to be respected. But did you see what God's Word said about work? It said this, do honest work with your hands. And I think what they're really saying here is this is the honesty of our work. To have something to share with those in need. God says, here's the deal. Work so you have something to give. Isn't that amazing? Work so you have something to give when the plate goes by. Work so you have something to give to those in need. Work so you have something to give to build up the church. Work so you have something to give to advance Christ's kingdom. Work so you have something to give to make other people's know and love Jesus. Work so you have Something to offer to God and say, God, will you use this to advance Christ's kingdom? Is that a radical different view of work than a typical American? Usually we're punching our tickets to get our paycheck to maintain our lives. But God is saying, no, 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 whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it for the glory of God. Each and every one of you, you're an ambassador of Christ wherever God has placed you, including in the home, including in the school. But he says for those of us who draw a paycheck, that we draw a paycheck for the glory of God and to support the advancement of Christ's kingdom. It's not ours, it's His. And there's no greater investment than in His kingdom. And we have to start off with admitting to ourselves that we have been inoculated with the American way of life. We have been saturated. Are we God-soaked? Are we gospel-soaked? Are we Christ-centered soaked? Or are we have this American view of working? And you know what? I'm going to have a little bit, set a little bit aside for God. No, no. We work so we can give. So we can advance Christ's kingdom. For those of you who can work and make more money than others, listen, that is, that is great you have more to give. For those of you who work and say, I just, I just have this might 
this widow's might. God loves it. That is what you're to give. That's the gospel work, uh, view of work. Don't steal. What is stealing? Stealing is basically saying you're not trusting God to provide. Stealing is basically saying I'm not satisfied with what God has given me. I deserve more. Most of us here are white collar. Our stealing doesn't look like we're going to go to a bank today and hold it up. Our stealing is going to be more things like stealing time. Um, Our things are going to be fudging our expense reports. Stealing on our tax return. And I want you to know, every time we steal, whether whether it's the time sheets we turn in that aren't true, whether it's the expense reports that aren't true, whether it's the office stuff that's not ours that we bring home, whatever we steal, even if it's somebody's reputation that we're stealing, whatever we are stealing, what we really are saying to God is this, I don't believe you'll provide for me. I don't like how you're providing for me. I'm not going to wait for you to provide for me, and I'm going to do it on my own. As Christians, we got to have a trust in God saying, I trust you. I'm your child. You will provide for me. If this is what I make, I trust you to be sovereign. I trust you to make, provide for my daily bread. I trust you. I will work honestly with my hands so that I have something to give. It's a radical difference of how we are to live. Gospel view of living. It should change the way we see truth. It certainly should change the way that we see, uh, the way uh, we speak to one another. It should change the way we work. It should change the way we live in all things. It certainly should change the way we have anger. One of the hardest things about sitting in a doctor's office and you see all those around you that are struggling, so many are just fighting to live. And some people you want to say, it's just so painful, you're thinking, you're, you're here getting treatments? Oh, man. Are they working? And it seems such a fine line between living and dying. I think what Satan would want us to do as a church is have such a fine line between living and dying that we really haven't put off the old self than the newness of Christ, the eternal life we have. That we live lives that more look like we're dying than we're truly living in Christ. And God has given us this great command to put off the old self that is dying in the flesh and to put on the eternal life in Christ Jesus and truly live because we're truly accepted. Christians, may this not look like a place that's filled with death. May this look like a place filled with life in Christ. Amen. And let us pray. Father, I pray that you would remind us so clearly of what you have done in Christ, that we are perfected forever in Christ. We are accepted, and because of that, we now live our lives in response. Father, thank you for the love that you have given to us, that the truth now shall set us free. We don't have to hide from it. And now, as we love our neighbors as ourselves, we can speak truth. Father, help us to have a righteous anger and be angry about the things that make you angry. But Father, to realize that everything else that angers us is sinful and let the gospel set us free. God, may we have a truly a gospel view of work and work for the glory of God so we have something to give. That is awesome. Jesus, thank you for coming and giving everything so that we truly can live. May this church 
be a place filled with the life and the love of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.